0: Today's episode of the Beaver Tales Podcast is on a former football player at Oregon State. In case you were wondering, in the wild, beavers have never been witnessed playing the game of American football. However, this human who played for the Beavers did play football and was pretty good at it. Here's your host, Josh Wharton. This is the Beaver Tales Podcast. I'm Josh Wharton. Thanks for joining me on the podcast where we talk with former oregon state athletes to hear about what they've done in life since their playing days at osu as well as talk about some of their highlights playing for the beavers and the guy i talked with for this episode had plenty of highlights one of the best oregon state football players from his era and it was a fun era to look back on because this was the time in the early 2000s when mitch Musin and the beavers were uh, beating a lot of teams, including that 2000 season that really put Oregon State on the map football-wise, a team that had spent year after year not even close to a bowl game, and then they make the Fiesta Bowl in 2000, and that 2001, technically January, 2001 Fiesta Bowl. Mitch Mewson was a redshirt freshman on that team, or he was redshirting that season, I should say, and then played for the next four years. It was an up-and-down time. Oregon State didn't even make a bowl game in 2001, his freshman year, when he was a freshman All-American as a safety. But they did have some good seasons after that, and Mitch Muson himself broke a record at Oregon State with 20 career interceptions. We'll talk about his career as well as playing for NFL Europe, a league that does not even exist anymore, but back when the NFL had a sort of a minor league program over in Europe, and Mitch played... For a team in Germany, in fact. After his football career ended, Mitch actually got into racing dwarf cars. So, we talk about that experience. He then drove trucks for UPS for a while and now works in sales after a little bit of a coaching stint at Oregon State. And he works up in the Portland area. He is a Forest Grove native. We did have one fun moment where I asked him a name that I didn't think he'd recognize. It was a neighbor of mine who I'd heard years ago mention something about renting out her apartment near my own house to a guy named Mitch Muson. I'd forgotten about that story, and I brought it up to Mitch, and I said, do you remember this name? Because if you actually did rent this apartment, you and I were neighbors when you were playing at Oregon State, and I didn't even know it at the time. And it turns out he did remember that moment, so we connected about living about 200 yards away from each other, although I didn't know who he was, and I was a lot younger at the time. But it was fun to have something to connect over. He is a pretty shy guy. He's not super loud and gregarious. But he does have some fun stories to talk about, and I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Mitch Musin. I also use this podcast to mention various nonprofits and give exposure to charities, including Convoy of Hope, which is going beyond 10 million meals in response to COVID-19, caring for people during this pandemic. And you can donate and help out the crisis relief fund that Convoy of Hope is putting on, a charity based in California, but they do work all over the world. You can find them at convoyofhope.org. Now let's get to this conversation with a guy who made the ESPN.com All-American team his senior year in 2004, first-team All-Pac-10 selection, a six-foot-three free safety, Mitch Musin. Thanks, Mitch, for coming on the Beaver Tales podcast. How you doing today? And what's the quarantine been like recently for you?
1: Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's been it's been interesting for sure. For everybody, um, impacts us all a little bit differently. But the kids are you know, having fun, being home from school, I guess, and uh, we're trying to keep them as calm as we can, but it's been uh, it's been good.
0: Are you personally taking a homeschool teacher role here, or what's been your role in the family? Um,
1: well, uh, my wife does a little bit more of that, but uh, we've got a two-month old, so we kind of have to tag team between the two, so she kind of takes the, the teacher portion of it, and that way I can handle the other one, so. Two months. That's a lot. of And how many kids are ages right now? Yeah, we've got a four-year-old girl and then a two-month-old boy. So our hands are full.
0: That's awesome. We'll come back to kind of your uh, journey after school and your, your work and however much of your family life you want to share. But let's start with Oregon State what's a, there's a lot of highlights, you know, a lot of numbers you put up and key games you were in, but from your perspective, whether it's one of the obvious ones or the ones where you were getting a lot of tackles and interceptions, or maybe a surprising one, in your opinion, what's the one that you daydream about most, a particular game or moment to highlight from your time wearing the beaver
1: uniform? Well, so many great memories for sure. If I have to pick just one, I guess that uh, my senior year playing down at LSU, just the atmosphere, obviously we didn't get the result that we wanted, but it was such a fun game and and good game, and uh, so that's one that I've remembered, like a lot of points of the game, so it's been a a big one for my memory. The very second guest I
0: had on this podcast was Alexis Serna, and he's willing to go into that game as aggravating as that was for him, and, and anyone watching, but him being you know, right at the center of it. For, for you to list that game as a highlight is perhaps surprising because it ended in a loss. Were you, I wouldn't blame you if you were angry at Alexis in the moment, but what did you see about his journey and your relationship? I'm not sure how close you are with him, but what he did since then, too.
1: Yeah, it was great to see him bounce back and he caught a lot of flack for that game, but it was, you know, it just depended on the person, I guess you talked to, and their point of view. I mean, there were, we had so many opportunities to win that game. They should have never came down to, any sort of field goal or extra point or anything like that. So no, I never had any animosity towards him for that, for sure. That
0: was towards the end of your career. It didn't take long for you to become a a vital part of the Oregon State defense. I mean, when you were a redshirt freshman, you got your first start, I believe, against UCLA, had 10 tackles in that game, a sack, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. I think it was ABC that was broadcasting that game, and you got the ABC player of the game. Where did that confidence come from, and were you even surprised at yourself to say, wow, I'm already one of the main guys on this good defense?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I remember that game well. It was uh it was an interesting start to the season. You know, 9-11 happened and and so there was a break and um and one of the starters got injured and so kind of just got thrown in there and um I felt well prepared, you know, I um had great coaches and got us all prepped for the game and you know the nervousness kind of went away after that first snap and then it just kind of became football again and it was a real the real first meaningful snaps I'd had since high school really and so it kind of just came back and you know just kind of in the right spot right right time um on some of those deals and so it ended up being a pretty good game and it just kind of gave me confidence that I can do this and it kind of progressed from there and was, I was able to kind of you know keep going that year
0: you were a red shirt the year before, the 2000 season, which concluded with the Fiesta Bowl. That was technically in the calendar year of 2001. I'm guessing they didn't travel the red shirts. Where did you watch that Fiesta Bowl game from?
1: Yeah, so the redshirts did not travel um, except for the Fiesta Bowl. So everybody that was on the team went to the game. So that was the first away game, so to speak, that we got to go to. But yeah, that was a that was kind of an eyes wide open type experience. What a team the personalities and just it was a really good team that was put together so it was uh it was fun to be a part of you know in a small way
0: coming back to your career a little bit you broke the record at oregon state most interceptions in a career 20 of them over your four years playing at oregon state what led to being such a good defensive back was it reading the quarterback's eyes was it the agility the acceleration good hands I mean how did you develop that both coming from Forest Grove High School and then during your time at Oregon State 20 interceptions is not easy uh yeah it was
1: you know uh the guys well people that watched me and guys that played with me wouldn't say exactly it was the the speed or agility or anything like that it was never my my calling card but um you know I I I studied a lot, um, just like all the other guys, but it just was about putting myself in the right position, um, kind of getting a feel for where the quarterback was going to be going with the ball and how the routes that teams would run were developing and kind of kind of put yourself in the right position. And that's all I got a lot of mine. I got a lot of you know tipped passes too or just kind of in the right place, right time, and fortunately didn't drop too many, although those are probably the ones that I remember the most is the ones that I've dropped. Yeah. Um, I still count how many I, I should have had.
0: I was talking with um, a friend recently. I don't think this name probably would register being, you know, 15 years since you left Oregon State roughly, but uh, Carol Brown, if you remember that name, that's going to be a different area of life, but she uh, is a neighbor of mine. I reached out to her, I said, I think you, I think you rented out your duplex once mm-hmm. to a, a guy named Mitch Muson. And she was like, yeah, I remember him. He was, he was very quiet, but very nice reserved guy. And I didn't realize this until now, but I guess you and I were living about a, a street apart for however many years. You lived next to Carol Brown. Do you remember uh, where the different places you lived, or, or that apartment in particular?
1: Yeah, that, if I remember right, it was a duplex that, that I lived in, at least my senior year, but maybe my junior year as well. And yeah. and uh, yeah, it was like having your—it's almost like having your grandma next door. It was really <laughs> so nice and anything you know we needed, you know, just a bunch of calls, not much, but you know, she was always great to us. That was a good experience.
0: It makes me want to explore maybe what was the most difficult thing for you at Oregon State because contrasted to some student athletes where maybe it's the the party lifestyle that draws them in and they have a difficult time balancing playing a division one sport but all the other you know things they could get invested in or the people they can hang out with, all the partying they can do. It did not seem like Mitch Muson was going to be the, you know, the life of the party, always out drinking late or whatever it may be. So, maybe what was, you know, the, the difficult thing for you, whether it be on the field or off the field, academically, was was there any particular part that you had to work through um, a, a difficulty while at Oregon State?
1: Yeah, it wasn't really the life of the party, but uh, you know, it was just it was navigating, I guess, kind of friendships, just like every, like I said, every college student I had being local. I had a lot of friends down there from high school and how to balance that with, you know, your friends from, that are your teammates now and and just sort of that deal. And I wouldn't say it was a struggle. I just didn't really apply myself probably as much as I should have on the academic side of it. Um, again, hindsight, you, you know, you don't really realize that until you're gone and realize the opportunity that maybe you should have took it a little more advantage of. You talked about navigating
0: through the relationships. As you've gone 15 years since being a collegiate student athlete what relationships have turned out to mean the most to you and how has your personal circle changed and morphed as you learned about oh these are the type of people i want in my circle these are the type of people that i want to be invested in and have close to me like how have you changed as a person to realize uh, what friendships mean a lot to you
1: yeah i mean i think whether you realize what relationships or you just realize more about yourself. I think maybe it took a little bit more until after I was gone from Oregon state to kind of learn some of that and navigate through some of life's other challenges. But, you know, I've, I've kept in contact with guys kind of here or there. I don't really have a close group from, from college. Um, still talk to my coaches from Oregon state, pretty close with uh, coach banker still talk to him pretty regular. But yeah. I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's interesting being a local guy and, and then some of the guys have, that were not local end up staying here and, and so you still see them around. So it's was, it was, pretty cool to still be in contact with some of those guys. One of the main
0: relationships I'm sure that means the most to you is your wife and you've got kids now. How did you meet your wife and, and how has marriage gone for you over the years?
1: Uh, it's been great. Yeah. We, uh, married coming up on eight years and, uh, I met her. She actually went to Portland State. Met her when she was working at Starbucks, and I was uh, working another job, and kind of just was my normal coffee stop. And finally worked up the courage to uh, talk to her after a month or two. That's usually my style. It takes me a while, but uh, uh, so no, no real good love story there. But uh, as far as meeting her, but uh, yeah, it's been been great. We have two kids and living here in Twalton locally, and everything's going great.
0: Let's go through your career post-Oregon State. You were an undrafted under- free agent, first with the Dolphins, then the Chargers. And I want to explore NFL Europe because that's a interesting part of the football saga in America, something that doesn't really exist anymore. And you had some experience playing uh, across the pond. So how did that work? Um To to go to Europe, you're playing for the Rain Fire in 2006, NFL Europe. What was the league like then at that point in terms of the caliber of players, the fan support, the rules? Did people understand football in Europe? Just take me kind of behind the scenes of what it was like playing for NFL Europe.
1: Yeah, it was a a great experience. Um, I didn't know anything about it going into it. I signed, like I said, signed with the Dolphins and got cut really quickly there and then kind of came back home. And. Just kept working out. Don't know what I'm going to do. You know, kind of wait for a call. And, and San Diego signed me and then sent me there. And so, kind of went through the whole tryout process. Uh, you go to a camp and you got to try out to make even the league, and then go through the draft and everything. But once we got over there and football was football, it was it was a really good experience. It was the like I said, I didn't know what to expect going in, but the caliber of football was a lot better than I guess I expected. Like there was some, it was just really good football you know, you had a majority of American players and then some international players that knew the game, you know, some of them had experience from coming over and playing a little bit in the U.S. And then a lot of our coaches were, you know, from college or, you know, ex-NFL coaches, stuff like that. So um, the football itself was really good and it was just a great experience to be able to, you know, live in, and I lived in Dusseldorf, Germany and um, just get to play football and, and learn and it was a little bit different, you know, it was kind of a, the next step from college, kind of a little bit more closer to the pro game and um, so it was it was a great experience, like you're saying the fans the fans didn't really they didn't really understand it, but they're so like they're just they're just on all the time, so it's it was loud. Uh, I've heard of the
0: games they play in London where it seems like the only plays they're invested in are the, the kickoffs and the field
1: goals because someone's kicking the ball like soccer did it, did it seem like that. Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't really notice that but I'm sure yeah I'm sure that was part of it but it it never like you play big games in the U.S. and you kind of understand the the lull in between plays and so it gets quiet it just never got quiet it was like constant noise for the entire game it was just it was interesting.
0: How many Oregon State games have you been back to were you at the you know 07 Civil War the 2016 Civil War
1: stuff like that any key moments you remember going to? I was, I can't remember if I was at those two games. I've been, you know, I went to quite a few games early on after I left um, when I could, because I was still kind of bouncing around Annabelle Europe or trying to play. And I was coaching at my high school and stuff like that. So kind of lost touch with the program. I think like most guys, when Gary Anderson came around and uh, so just, I haven't been to a lot of games, but I don't usually, I don't always go down the sideline. I'll just kind of, go with a couple friends or something sit in the stands and kind of blend into the crowd so like you said you lost touch are you glad that the Gary
0: Anderson era turned into a guy you're more familiar with than Jonathan Smith
1: uh well yeah I was excited about him coming back and not just because I know him just uh because you know was his ability and track record that he had coaching and familiarity with the the program and knows you know oregon state's unique and and uh so he could navigate that and obviously excited about this kind of the success that we've you know seen and how kind of you know, turning things around it's, it's been after those you know a few years of kind of rough rough weather there it's kind of been really nice to see going back to your career a little bit after
0: you finish playing football and and feel free to talk however much about what that decision was like to stop playing football, how much of that was moving on or out of your control. But one of the things you did, either a hobby or I don't know how it fit into your life, but the the dwarf car racing that you got into, and I, I want to hear that and how that works. But tell me about the transition away from football and at least in part to race car driving.
1: Yeah, the transition out of football was difficult. I mean, I think it is for every... For every guy, unless they truly know, like once the last game is over, it's over. and Even that's tough too. But I always told myself when I was playing at Oregon State that I I wasn't going to hold on and and keep trying to play. Eventually, I would, you know, if it wasn't working out, I would I would end it. But uh it was hard when you got in that process. You keep trying, you know, you're waiting for that call. And and after after NFL Europe, I came back and was with the Chargers. Kind of made it through the preseason and through the last cuts and got cut. And uh, I wasn't quite sure. I thought that might be it, but kind of, you know, kept in shape and was waiting for maybe a call during the season with an injury or something like that from somebody and nothing ever really materialized. And then the opportunities were maybe go to Canada and I had an offer to go back to NFL Europe. And I just, at that point, I was like, I think this is probably the end. So I just said, no, I'm not interested and kind of transitioned out of it. It's a, it was a difficult time just kind of, you know, you think you're going to play in the, the next level and then trying to figure out what what you're going to do with your life after that when it doesn't work out. So it was just a tough time for me. And I've, you know, know some guys where it's also been tough for them and uh, trying to make that transition, whether it's right out of college or whether it's after it's playing for a while. So but uh, as far as the dwarf car racing, yeah, I was I grew up in Forest Grove and my my dad took us down the like a few miles down the road to watch racing. Uh when we were growing up so I grew up around dirt track racing and stuff like that and and always liked those little cars and after I got done playing I had a lot of time on my hands I was like I want to do this and so I just bought a car and started doing it and got then I got really into it and spent a lot of money and uh, doing it but racing's not cheap but uh, it was a lot of fun Um, but eventually it had to end had to kind of move on so
0: i watched a little video just to familiarize myself with dwarf car racing and it's pretty, I I don't want to say comical because that makes it sound silly. It it clearly takes a high amount of skill to drive it. It, I'm I'm assuming it's not easy, any easier than NASCAR really. So how do you get good at driving dwarf cars?
1: Uh, Just a lot of practice. I mean, you you start out just by going slow and running around the back and try not to run into anything or anybody and um as you build up a little more courage and are able to go a little bit faster than and then you you start going faster and as far as getting better i don't know i think you i don't it's just as many laps as you can do you kind of get better each lap and and that's how i did it
0: what's what's the top speed for a dwarf car usually down the straightaway
1: Uh, it really depends on the track we raced on a big track up in washington that you probably get close to 90 or 100 but it's they're really small cars i mean they're They're not very big inside, so it's it feels like you're going really fast.
0: Yeah, you're. It seems like it's pretty compact. It's barely bigger than the guy himself, especially a football player like you. I mean, it's there's not very much space in there. There's not
1: much space. Well, once you get, it's hard to get into. Once you get in there, you can kind of spread out a little bit. But yeah, they're pretty small.
0: Did you have any gnarly crashes at any point, or any other fun anecdotes of driving?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't. Luckily, I uh, well, I I did wreck my first car. Kind of. um put that one in the wall and smashed the front end on that one and that was pretty much scrap so I had to build a new car but uh after that no nothing too nothing too crazy I never flipped like some guys you see will flip in them and luckily none of that stuff that happened to me
0: it it looked like you had won at least one race so you had some success there but you you moved on you've been through a lot of different stops since then you were a educational assistant with the Forest Grove School District, I think assistant football coach at the high school. You drove trucks for UPS for like three years. You came back to OSU as a graduate assistant coaching for OSU near the end of the Mike Riley era. And it looks like you spent about seven years now in sales up in Portland. So there's a lot of different points that you've been through. Take me through kind of what development you had as a person through through those times and the different jobs you've had how has Mitch Musin changed through each of those roles
1: you've had in life yeah I think it goes back to kind of what I was talking about trying to find myself after um getting done playing and I think there was a there's a little sense of almost embarrassment or kind of being ashamed of like I, I didn't make it you know that's all I wanted to do was play at the next level and And so you kind of feel a little bit about that. It's maybe what kept me away from some of those games early on when I was done. But as far as like the, some of the odd jobs were like being an educational assistant or high school football coach was really just going back home and and trying to do something while I was staying, working out and waiting for a call. Cause you don't, it's kind of hard to get a job if you're maybe planning on leaving, going back and playing. So there was a lot of that. And and actually the UPS thing kind of started out the same way. It was just, I took a temp job with them during the winter when they were hiring because I was still trying to play. And, and shortly after, when I made my decision not to play, they offered me to come on full time. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Well, I still don't really know what I want to do. And so a few years later, I was still there. And kind of in that time, I, I knew I didn't want to do that, but it was a good job in the meantime. And I started working towards getting that GA job at, at Oregon State because part of what I always wanted to do is I always wanted to coach. And when I kind of finally got that opportunity, that's, that's when I moved on and uh, it's not easy to get a GA job. But uh, when I finally got that opportunity, that's when I left there and went back to Oregon State.
0: Kind of one of the final questions I usually like to ask people is to reflect on how different of a person they were when they first arrived at Oregon State. And I think it was probably 2000 was the year when you first stepped foot as a freshman um, at Oregon State and starting to take classes as an 18-year-old. So if you can look back on what that was like two decades ago, pretty close – What advice would you give to yourself, to your 18 year old version of Mitch Musin, based on all the life lessons you've learned since then? What would you tell yourself?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Well, I definitely take advantage more of the opportunity that more so on the academic side. Um, Things have worked out great for me. So um, I still feel very lucky to where I'm at right now and the career that I have, but uh, maybe um, apply myself a little bit more in that regard. Um, And then probably open myself up a little bit more, more to people, Um, you know, people that know me kind of know me, but I'm pretty reserved and, you know, come off as shy or some people think I'm rude, whatever. It's just, I'm a pretty quiet guy. And so I don't really um, get to know a lot of new people. So I think that would have definitely would have, if I would have been able to do that earlier on when I was in school, and I think I would have kind of developed a little bit more. Whereas now it's, it's a little bit easier. You know, I've kind of learned from that, but uh, maybe that would have helped a little early on in my career. It's a
0: different journey for everyone based on the personality. And if there's, a, if there's an opposite on the spectrum to Chad Johnson, Chad Cinco, you might be that. And that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does create its own things to work through.
1: What's funny about Chad is people don't know. Like I remember, because so I was a redshirt when Chad came in and I was one of the only ones that had a pickup on the team. And so, of course, Chad asked me to help him move into his apartment. And Chad was kind of quiet at first. And people, I don't know if many people know that, but he was he was pretty quiet because he had to come in with all the freshmen because he was new, and he was quiet. And that obviously changed early in that season. But uh, it was just kind of funny to see how how different he was later in that year.
0: Yeah, I guess he I guess he blossomed like that. But that is funny. I would not expect Chad Johnson to ever ever be described as quiet, but. People, people change and grow. Yeah, these are great stories and it's fun to hear about what's happened in your life since then. So Mitch, thanks so much for reminiscing about your time at Oregon State and best of luck with your kids, a two-month-old, that's, that's not easy. So best of luck with you and your family and everything you got
1: going. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on
0: there is the all-american mitch Musin. fun to hear his development as a person and he admitted it's not easy for me to branch out and meet new people but it's something i'm working on and everybody blossoms at some point or at least has the capability to do so if chad johnson can do it to that great degree then i can or you can or mitch Musin can at least in our own way and we don't all have to be chad Cinco, no But we've all got our own journey, and that's okay. Hey, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast. More fun episodes coming up from a variety of sports. Heavy on the 2018 Beaver Baseball Championship squad and some various football eras. It's fun to get Mitch as being the first player of the early 2000s, kind of Dennis Erickson highlight years. And we'll continue getting more guests on this podcast as well. Thanks for clicking on another podcast of the Beaver Tales, Where Are They Now conversations with guys like Mitch Musin. More fun conversations to come. Thanks for clicking on another podcast of this Where Are They Now type of conversation, Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Don't forget to check out convoyofhope.org to see the cool work they're doing. Text a friend about this podcast. It's for charity, and you can hear Oregon State athletes talking about their best memories of playing for OSU. Until next time, good night and go be peace